not everything has taken place yet. And so that's what this podcast episode is going to talk about. What is left? What are we waiting for? Hello, friends, and welcome, or welcome back. We've been looking at the book of Revelation. We laid a foundation by looking at Matthew 24 and 25. Then we looked at interpretive frameworks and challenges. We looked at the author and his audience and what his aims were, the main characters of Revelation, the storyline of Revelation. And last time we talked about the outcomes of the book of Revelation. And now we're going to talk about what's left. So I encourage you to take this kind of in order. It really builds upon things. And I think it really helps us get a handle on this book that is otherwise pretty mysterious and pretty difficult sometimes to apply and to make sense of for our modern day lives. But I think we've come to a really good understanding of this book as we begin to see the the main theme of Revelation is the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant. It's God overcoming the enemies of God, the Antichrist, that were persecuting the church, that were standing against the church, that were trying to destroy the church, which were primarily the Roman Empire and Judaism, Old Covenant Judaism. And so Revelation is the story of the defeat of those enemies. It's putting away the old harlot wife, which was Old Covenant Judaism, and it's the coming of the new bride and the establishing of the kingdom of God on earth. But if you've grown up with kind of a futurist perspective, this may be actually a little bit disappointing to you because if you say to me, well, Daryl, you're saying that all these things are happening now, that we're already in the new heaven and the new earth, and um, this, this is as good as it's gonna get? Well, my answer to that is no that uh, not everything has taken place yet. And so that's what this podcast episode is going to talk about. What is left? What are we waiting for? So first of all, let me give an overview of what I believe is still left to be accomplished. And that would be the physical return of Jesus. So I do believe in a physical return of Jesus. I believe that's why it's important to understand Matthew 24 and 25. I believe the resurrection of the dead has yet to happen when Christ returns All of those who have fallen asleep in Christ will be raised to life, and we're going to talk about that in our next episode, what happens when you die. The great white throne judgment where all of humanity will be judged and they'll be separated uh, like sheep and goats. The judgment seat of Christ for believers where the believers will be rewarded for the good deeds that they did that God prepared in advance for them to do that they accomplished by God's grace working in their lives. And the establishment of of the new physical creation. And everything that I've just listed, I believe is really essential to biblical Orthodox Christianity. Uh, There is a movement, as I mentioned when we looked at four frameworks for understanding Revelation, there is a movement called full preterism or hyper preterism, um, and they would say that everything has already happened. All prophecy in the Bible has already been fulfilled. So they don't look for a future resurrection of the dead. They don't look for a future physical return of Jesus. They don't expect time to ever end, that it's just going to go on and on forever. And I think that is not right. I think that's uh, those are dangerous beliefs because they have um, dangerous implications. And once again, I want to reference the scholar Kenneth Gentry, and he has a book called Have We Missed the Second Coming. 
And in that book, he outlines why these are essential beliefs of Orthodox Christianity and why the hyper-preterist belief system is in error regarding these things and um, why they are not in line either with biblical Christianity or the historical creeds of the church. But for our purposes, because as I've said throughout this podcast, we're going for very broad strokes, very high-level understanding, it's important to know that we're trying to understand the book of Revelation in the context of the rest of the scripture. And so these are things, the physical return of Jesus, the resurrection, the great white throne judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, the new creation. These are ideas that are established elsewhere in the Bible. And so I think it's really helpful when we understand Revelation through the context of the entire Bible, and we understand these things as part of that narrative, and we don't uh, try and pull things that are only found in Revelation and try and build a eschatology or theology only on one or two verses in Revelation like we talked about with the millennia. So let's talk about these things. And as I address these things, you'll notice that I'm going to be referencing other parts of the scripture. So it's we're using the whole Bible to help us understand Revelation. We're not interpreting the rest of the Bible through Revelation. We're not trying to understand Revelation in a vacuum. We're trying to understand Revelation in context of what the rest of the scripture teaches. And that's what we should do with all Scripture, but especially in the case of Revelation, where it's a highly symbolic, apocalyptic language-style book, and we talked about that in the episode on the challenges of understanding Revelation. But let's go to Acts chapter 1, and in verse 9 it says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so this is clearly not symbolic. This is not an allegory. Luke is writing a very historical account to give to Theophilus so that he will know the certainty of the things that he has believed. And so this is a historical account of how Jesus ascended into heaven, physically, literally ascended, and the angels tell him that in the same way you have seen him go into heaven, he's going to come back. And so we can understand from other places in Scripture that Jesus will return to the earth. You'll recall when we looked at Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And I believe now Jesus is now telling them about the second coming, his final return, that there was an invisible coming of the Lord in AD 70. And it used the language, you know, he used the language coming on the clouds. And we talked about how we see that language elsewhere in the Bible to talk about coming in judgment. But there are other places in the scripture, like we just looked at, where it talks about another coming of Christ, a literal, visible physical return of Jesus. And so I believe we can establish that from the scripture. Okay, so that's one of the things that has not yet happened. When he returns, we will know it. And that's why some scholars even believe Matthew chapter 24, verse 27 says, for as lightning that comes from the east and is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For example, Kenneth Gentry, he says that this verse 
Jesus is actually contrasting his final second coming with his invisible coming in 70 AD to tell them that these two things are different. Personally, I understand that verse that he's still talking about the coming in AD 70, that it will be unmistakable. But I would look to other places in the scripture where he talks about his visible coming, which will also be unmistakable, that we will be able to see him physically, that people will behold him and Uh, That will be the end of time, that time is not going to go on forever and ever, that the Lord is going to come back, that he is going to establish his government on the earth and his kingdom and his reign is going to rule over the earth and he's going to make everything new, brand new. Eventually, it will all become totally new and um, it will not have the stain of sin in the creation. It's the completing of God's redemptive purposes that Adam brought sin and death, not only into humanity, and so humans die and are separated from God as a result of Adam's sin, but the creation also groans as a result of Adam's sin, and part of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ is to undo everything that Adam did and to make the creation new again, completely free from sin. Okay, so that was one. that is one of the things that we are still waiting for. That's one of the things that is still left. Let's talk about the resurrection of the dead for a moment. Look at John chapter 6, verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And so the last day is not the beginning of the thousand years that we see in Revelation, which is, again, using this really symbolic language. The last day is the end of time. And we see this in several other places in the scripture, a bodily resurrection of all people that is Uh, happens simultaneously to everyone when Jesus comes back. Uh, John 5, 28 says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Acts 24, 15 says this, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So Revelation 20, where we see what could be interpreted as two separate physical resurrections, I believe is talking about a spiritual resurrection in Revelation 20, verses 4 to 6, and then at the end of all time when Jesus brings history to an end, where time stops, I believe there's a physical resurrection, and we're going to talk more about that in our next episode. But another aspect of that would be that if the earth goes on and on forever, And if humanity just continues to multiply and people have more children, that's kind of hard to understand from the perspective of people's names being written in the book of life. That to me, the scripture implies in many places that there's a finite number of people's names written into the book of life and that God is not adding people's names into the book of life. That when God set the creation in motion, Before the foundation of the earth was laid, he already had each person in mind. He already knew us. We existed in his mind, and he knew that we would exist. And so if time never ends, then you would have to somehow think, well, humanity just goes on for eternity making new human beings, which I don't think can be substantiated from the scripture. So we had the physical return of Jesus. We had the resurrection of the dead. We had the great white throne judgment, which is what we just read about, that people will be resurrected. And as I said before, we're going to talk about that in our next episode, so I'm not going to go into great detail on the resurrection here. But it is important to know that 
there is a resurrection coming, and that this was, in fact, the hope of the New Testament. This is what Paul had as his hope, a physical resurrection, not only being born again in the Spirit, as good as that is, that we can have a relationship with God, that we can live on the earth in fellowship with God, that's awesome, but Paul's hope was that he was going to get a new physical body that was not tainted by sin, that could be in fellowship with God forever and rule with Jesus on the earth in his kingdom. And so we're anticipating a physical resurrection where we get new bodies. There's a judgment where all humanity is judged whether or not they're in Christ, whether they belong to the family of God or not, whether they've submitted their lives to the kingship of Jesus, whether they've rejected him. And then for those who have submitted their lives to Jesus, they go before the judgment throne of Christ, which is talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 describes this in a little more detail. He's talking about uh, building up the church, and he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." And so, this is talking about when we as believers appear before the judgment seat of Christ and God rewards us for everything that he prepared in advance that Ephesians chapter 2 talks about, that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, when we die, God rewards us at the end of time when we're before his judgment seat, he rewards us for the good works that he prepared for us to do. And in his grace, he burns away everything that was not of him, everything that we did in the flesh, everything that we did that was selfish, everything that we did that wasn't motivated by love, because uh, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And so Everything that hasn't come from love, everything that wasn't in truth is all burned up. And that is a scary thing, but it's also a great act of God's grace that we are not a burden to live with those failures for all of eternity, that they are burned up. Now, of course, nobody wants to suffer loss. It talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if it's burned up, the builder will suffer the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. So we don't want to experience, like we don't want to waste our lives, basically. We don't want everything that we give ourselves to in this life to be completely burned up and realize, man, I just lived my life for my own comfort, for my own entertainment. I never served anyone. I never loved anyone. I never put anyone's interest above myself. I never shared the gospel with anyone. I never tried to give myself to the things of the kingdom of God. I never surrendered those parts of my life to God. That I mean, that will be sad for those people who suffer loss. So I'm not trying to make light of that loss. It's, um, it's a serious, weighty thing, and we should take it serious, and we should live our lives surrendered 
to Jesus and surrendered to the purposes of God so that when we appear before his throne, we have no regrets. I remember when I was courting my wife and I told her, I just want to live a life that where we're making every decision we make as a family, as a couple, that we'll be pleased with that decision when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our lives. When we give an account for our lives, we want to hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we should all take that as an exhortation to live abandoned to the lordship of Jesus, not only so we don't experience loss at the judgment seat of Christ, but also because he loves us and he is so wise and whatever he tells us to do is going to be best anyway. So then how should we respond to these things that are left? If we believe that Jesus is yet to come back physically, that there will be a resurrection, there will be a judgment seat, there will be a rewarding of those Christians who have lived their lives for the Lord, and there will be a burning up of everything that is not eternal, a burning up of everything that was of the flesh. How should we live then? We should live as wise, good stewards. We should be the good stewards in Matthew 25. We shouldn't be fearful. We shouldn't be paranoid. We shouldn't look at every new technology and be scared and think, oh, it's you know, this This is the new technology coming out in Revelation. This is the mark of the beast. This is that. This is whatever. No, we should be confident that the kingdom of God is going to overtake the earth and that our purpose as the church is to be the representatives of God's government and to show people what the kingdom of God is like, to demonstrate the kingdom of God to people who are on the earth so that more and more people will come into his kingdom. And so we shouldn't be short-term in our thinking, we should be wise. We should be following the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about on other podcasts. And so we're going to go into more detail on some of these ideas in the next podcast on what happens when we die. But I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged and not be fearful that when you look at the book of Revelation, we don't have to be fearful that these horrible tribulations are in our future. But neither do we have to be disappointed that, oh, you're saying like, oh, the kingdom of God's already come to earth. Well, the earth is still a huge mess. What's the deal there? Right, because the kingdom of God has not been fully manifested, because the church is still maturing, because we as believers are still being made into the likeness of Jesus. Listen, I believe that if I were if I had already attained to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ, that there would be no sickness ever around me, that wherever I went, just like Jesus, sick people would be getting healed all the time. But I'm not there yet. I'm still growing. I'm still maturing into what Christ is like. And so the kingdom of God, the same way, just like it's maturing in my own life and it's growing and it's and, and I'm growing, same thing on the earth. The kingdom of God is growing. It's maturing. It's touching more and more people's lives every day. But there's still a lot of work to be done. And so we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be paranoid. We don't have to be disappointed. We don't have to be let down that, oh, this is as good as it's going to get. Because it's not. It's only going to get better and better and better. And eventually, Jesus Christ is going to return to earth and eradicate sin from the creation. And we'll have brand new bodies that are not touched by sin, that are not corrupted by sin. And we will reign with him forever. And it's going to be awesome. All right. I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. 